Hey there, Merry Christmas. My name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And you know, we're glad that you've joined us for part three of our current series called The Light. Now, how many of you have a tradition during Christmas each year? Maybe it's Christmas Day, maybe it's Christmas Eve, or, or some point during Christmas season that you sit down and you read the Christmas story. Maybe you just sit down and read it individually, and, or maybe you sit together as a family and you, it's a tradition that you read the story as a family. You, because of the hustle and bustle at times, I think there's a lot of times we get through the Christmas season. And while we know what Christmas is all about, and while we know the reason why we celebrate, you can get through Christmas and get to a point where you realize, hey, we just made it through Christmas and we didn't actually read the Christmas story once. And it wasn't intentional because, well, you know the story. But I think it's always good to just take a breath in this season and just kind of realign with the story. And so today I want to read through some of the different accounts of the Christmas story. As many of you know, we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call that the Gospels, the good news. And in Matthew and Luke, they give us the birth account. They're the ones who actually give us the story of Jesus' birth. Mary, this is where we get Mary and we get the, the story about the angels and Bethlehem and the whole nativity thing. We get that from Matthew and Luke. Well, when Mark writes his gospel, he, he doesn't tell the, the, the birth narratives. He jumps right into, uh, he, right into the life of Jesus. He just kind of skips along and goes right after it. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's just like off to the races. Before long, he's talking about John the Baptist and how he's preparing the way for adult Jesus. And, and, and that's how he kind of begins his gospel. Well, John, when he writes his gospel, and he's writing this gospel near the end of his life, and he's, he's thought to be the, the last of the, the gospel writers. And, and he says, you know, those guys did a great job at explaining what happened. But, but I want to just make sure I get down on paper and make sure people understand why it happened. So in John's first chapter, he skips the detail of, of the birth story. And as we've said earlier in the series, it, it, he spent the most time with Mary, the one who was actually there, because he, 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 spent, he takes care of Mary right till the end of her life. So it's not like he doesn't know the story, but here's what he says in John chapter 1, verse 14. Is, he says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, it's almost like John says, well, I'm not going to rehash all the details. My brothers in Christ have done a great job of that. But here's the summary. The word God became human. He lived with us. He brought a love that could only come from the Father. And he changed the world. And so John gives you a ton of info in, the, in this opening, opening chapter of his gospel. And I think John could have been a journalist because journalists are taught that you write the most relevant information at the beginning of an article and then in case a reader doesn't make it to the end. And so John says in chapter one, in case you don't get any further, I want you to know, I need you to know this. John chapter one, verse nine, he says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so John tells us there's a gift coming, a gift that was for all people. But here's the thing. Although the gift was for all people, not all people accepted this gift. Not all people do still to this day accept this gift. 
I mean, have you ever seen this, seen this before where somebody brings a gift or somebody gives a gift that's just incredibly extravagant, incredibly costly, or, 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 or incredibly worthy, not even monetary value, but just there was so much worth to it, and the person says, I can't accept this. It's too much. I just, I can't. But John says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. See, the gift was offered to all. And while some rejected it, while some, and some did not recognize that Jesus was the gift, those that did accept and those that did believe became children of God. And John's insistent that in you understanding that this gift is a personal gift. It's a, although it's for all people, it's also a personal gift. Imagine this. Imagine, imagine you're at your work. And your work at Christmas time maybe is handing out gifts, and every person in your, uh, every person at your work gets a Rolex watch. Wow, that'd be amazing, right? And everyone was given one. But when you received your Rolex, your gift, you looked on the inside, and engraved on it was was your name. Your name was on it, and so you realize that well, this this gift was for everyone, but it's also incredibly personal. In light of Jesus, that's kind of a bad analogy. But in that moment, you realize it's not some generic gift. It was personally meant for me. Jesus had come to be your personal Savior. And up until this point in history, it kind of felt like, yeah, I know God loves the whole world, but it's sort of a distant love, a generic love. And to use the Rolex analogy again, imagine your company has 10,000 employees and your CEO gets up and says, I value each employee. I love you like your family. And it sounds nice, and you might, this, your CEO might be a great person. You might, actually, you might actually believe that. Like, I actually believe that our CEO cares about all his, his or her employees. But you also know, I've never talked to the CEO before. And if I passed them in the street, they probably wouldn't even recognize me or know my name. This was the relationship that many people had with God. I know he cares about his people. I know he loves his people. I know he loves the whole world, but I don't feel like it's a personal God. I don't feel like I have that personal relationship with him. And then John says, I used to feel that way too. I mean, until God showed up in the flesh and became very personal. And he wants you to accept him as your personal savior. He knows you by name and he knows what you care about and he cares about what you care about. And yes, he died for the sins of the world, but it's more specific than that. He died for your sins. Now, the thing is this. John didn't get that right away. Even though John wrote this down, even though John could explain it to you now, he didn't get it right away. And Matthew didn't get this right away. And Peter didn't get it. Andrew didn't get it. His closest followers didn't understand this right away. They believed that Jesus had come to the world to save them. As in the Jewish people. As in save their people from the Roman oppressors and all of their enemies. And they had this idea that he had come to save the world, but this world didn't extend outside of Israel's borders. But they came to the conclusion that not only did it extend outside their borders, but it extended to every individual person, no matter Jewish or non-Jewish, throughout all of time. See, they had this wrong idea initially of Jesus and why he was there. But I think many of us do too. 
We ask people who Jesus is, some will tell you, well, he was, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was just a healer, or he was just a rabbi, or he's a spiritual advisor on Sundays, or a good luck charm. And, and, and the question I think John would ask if John was standing here right today was, is this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Which is different than, do you believe that? Do you believe that this happened? Do you, do you believe that there was a Jesus? It's, do you believe? Like, believe in the way John meant it to be. Do you put your full weight of trust in Jesus? Do your life decisions and the way you live your life point to the fact that you fully trust in Jesus? That that's the type of belief that John's talking about. And for those of you that are unsure, you're like, I'm unsure if I could ever believe in Jesus that way. And John would say to you, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking questions. Because he would tell you, "I, I didn't believe at first either. I mean, it took me some time, too. And I saw the miracles, and I saw Lazarus come out of that tomb. I was in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. And even now, I realize we didn't believe at first. We didn't understand why Jesus had come at first. But I know now, he came to save the whole world, not just us. And so again, Mark begins his gospel by jumping straight at Jesus' adult ministry. And John's gospel focuses on the why over the what, but then Luke begins his gospel. And when Luke begins his gospel, he says, I've talked to all the eyewitnesses. I know all the stories inside out. But someone has to document the details of the life of Jesus. Someone needs to give an orderly account. So Luke begins his gospel like this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, he says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, Let me explain something and just stick with me for a moment because it's going to get a little tricky. When Mary heard from the angel, the angel said to her, you were going to call your son Jesus. Now what Mary heard the angel say was not the pronunciation Jesus because Jesus is the Latin translation of that name. She didn't hear the Greek word for Jesus because the Greek word for Jesus is a translation of the Hebrew word that we know for Joshua. Except Hebrew doesn't have the J sound, so it actually sounds more like Yeshua. But what she would hear the angel say to her is that you are to name your son after the Old Testament hero, Joshua. That is important for later in the story. Verse 32 says, He will be very great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's Luke's Luke's sort of intro to Jesus' life. Let's jump over to Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this in itself was life-threatening. 
The law deemed her guilty of death because of her seemingly infidelity. No one was going to believe her explanation. No one was when she told, tells people, that, listen, I'm, the reason I'm pregnant is because the Holy Spirit put a baby inside me. No one was going to believe that. Verse 19 says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now Joseph, who was her fiancé, was a man who respected the law deeply, but he also was a man who believed in grace. And so as many of you know, the, an engagement at that time is not like an engagement now. An engagement now means I intend to marry you, but it's not too late for me to back out. There's no legal ramifications to that. But engagement back then was a binding contract that if you were unfaithful during the engagement process, it was as if you were unfaithful during the marriage. So verse 20 says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Matthew gives us sort of an insight into Joseph's side of the story. And then the angel says, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. And, and I imagine Joseph is experiencing, as his dream's going on, he's experiencing this range of emotions. And I'm sure there was fear. I mean, an angel of the Lord appears and, and he's confused. And, and the angel assures him that Mary's blameless and that this child that she carries, while it's not biologically yours, it's the Holy Spirit's, you are going to play a fatherly role and you're going to help raise this child. And so Joseph then experiences this excitement because he learns that he's going to have a son. And he is to be named Jesus, except he wouldn't have heard Jesus. He would have heard Yeshua but understood it to be Joshua. And the angel continues, you are to name him Jesus for... Now, pause there. I don't know Joseph's comprehension level during the dream. I mean, you've had dreams before. Sometimes you think very clearly and rationally in your dreams, and sometimes your thoughts are completely irrational in a dream. But if Joseph was very alert, which I assume he was because he was able to recall this dream later on, if Joseph was fully alert during the dream... He may have thought or responded when the angel said, you're to name him Jesus for, he may have said, he may have paused the angel in this moment. You don't have to finish the sentence, angel. I know what the significance of a baby from the Holy Spirit named Joshua means. I know exactly why he's here. The angel says, for, he will save his people. Well, angel, angel, angel. I know this. I know he'll save his people. Because as a young boy, I was taught that one day a Messiah would come in the spirit of Joshua. A Messiah that would have the wisdom of Moses, but would, have the, would be a war general just like Joshua was. And just like Joshua led our ancestors into the promised land and defeated all of Israel's enemies to establish the, 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 the country of Israel, the Messiah will lead our people in overcoming Rome. And all our enemies will be driven out so that once again we will be a mighty nation. And maybe Joseph thought, man, I've waited for this day. I can't believe I get to play a role in the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm going to have a son, Joshua, that will save his people like Joshua. But then the angel finishes. Wait, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh. Huh. Okay. Huh. 
but, but angel, that's not a big deal. I mean, that's not even a need of ours right now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but just south of here in Jerusalem, we already have a save you from your sin system. It's, it's called the temple. We've, we've got save you from your sins covered. But the angel appears to Joseph and tells him that he's going to have a son. He's going to name him Joshua. And he will come in the spirit of Joshua, the deliverer, Joshua, the savior. And this son will deliver the people from the thing they need to be delivered from the most. Their own sin. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, let's face it. If an angel appears to you and you're convinced it actually is an angel, you're going to do whatever the angel told you to do. And this is exactly what Joseph did. He took Mary as his wife as the angel had instructed. Now, let me, let me jump back to Luke for a moment. Some time has gone by. Mary's beginning to show, and they're not yet married, and rumors are swirling, lots of whispering, lots of stares. And then Luke gives us this, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, Caesar Augustus, uh, Rome's first emperor, if you were with us last week or you listened last week, you would know that we talked about originally known as Octavian um, and before that, Rome had been a republic, not an empire, and they never wanted a king. But there was some political turmoil, and Rome now has its first emperor, and it's Caesar Augustus. And Jesus is born about 35 or 36 years after his time he goes into power, and Augustus would send out a census to keep inventory of his entire empire for the purposes of knowing where the tax money should be coming from, where they should be taxing people. So verse 3 says, all returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, I think you know what's coming. Because if you read the story, you know, you know that the angels are coming to appear to the shepherds. But the question is this, why shepherds? Why not the Pharisees? Why not the farmers? Why not the, the blacksmiths? And the short answer is, is that we don't know. However, shepherds stood out in the cold, watching their sheep, and they were outcasts. And to make matters worse, by the nature of their job, they looked after animals, unclean animals, animals that would tend to leave unclean messes in the fields, which made them, by extension, always ceremonial unclean. And if you're a shepherd, your job was to provide lambs to the people that they could eat and lambs to the people that they could take to the temple for sacrifice. So the ironic part was is that the sheep were welcome in the temple, yet they weren't. They were outcasts to the entire temple system. And so God chooses to announce the birth of his son, the biggest announcement in the history of mankind, to a group of people that weren't even welcome at the religious table. Verse 9 says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Again, it's angels. Everyone's terrified. 
I mean, the Bible describes angels more like warriors than precious moment dolls. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Shepherds, take note. All people. Not just the ceremonial clean. Not just the religious leaders. All people. Verse 11 says, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel is joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to with whom God is pleased. When the angels, angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now what we have is we have four accounts about a baby. A baby that would become a carpenter in Nazareth. A little insignificant town. We have four different accounts. Four accounts that were written down and, and copied over and over and protected. And people gave their lives for these records to make sure that our generation would still have them in our hands. Why? Because something happened that night. God came to earth in the form of a baby. And it was such a big deal. And even though there were many people in the story that featured that were insignificant or seemingly insignificant, a young Jewish girl, a young Jewish boy, some, some insignificant shepherds, yet 2,000 years later, we still pass on their accounts. We still read through the story because something happened that night. Verse 16 says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So this young mom, she's gone through so much. The weight of carrying a savior, the slander of her name and reputation, the slander of her fiancé, the doubt, the honor, the fear, the excitement, the birth of her Savior. This same Mary would raise Jesus the best that she could, presumably as normal as she could. This same Mary would stand at the foot of the cross 33 years later and watch as her boy was crucified on a Roman cross. This same Mary would stare into an empty tomb where, her body, where his body was supposed to be, but no longer remained. The same Mary would put her arms around her resurrected son and once again ponder his life and the things that were told to her. That he was who the angel, all those years earlier, what the angel declared him to be, he was. The Messiah. The Savior of the world. But not just the world, but he was also her own personal savior. And Matthew would do his best to document what he'd been told. And Luke would do the best to document what he was told. But it was John who took care of Mary the rest of his life and the rest of her life. It would be John that would summarize it best. And John sits down to write this as an old man and 
He tries to figure out, how do I best pass on what I, what I know as undeniable truth? And God gives him these words to write. John 3.16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That's the Christmas story. That God stooped down to us. God sent his son. It says, so that everyone, everyone, every person, this was not a savior that was sent for the Jewish people or the religious people. Everyone who believes in him, as in puts their full weight of trust, not believes that, but believes in, will not perish but have eternal life. And as John writes these words, do you wonder if he wonders, will anyone ever read this? I really hope someone reads this. People need to read this. And yet 2,000 years later, most of us know these words by heart. But he didn't stop there. Here's the part that we weren't given to memorize in Sunday school class. Here's the verse they don't hold up at baseball games behind the backstop. Here's the emphasis. Here's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John would tell you, I can tell you without hesitation. I was there. I watched him interact with the darkness and sin, and he was laser focused. He never condoned, but he never condemned. It was never his goal. It was to save the world. The Father's heart on display. I don't understand why people shy away from God because of shame or guilt. Because verse 17 says, God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Christmas is worth celebrating. Because the angel was right. Fear not. The angel was right with Mary. The angel was right with Joseph. The angel was right with the shepherds. A king is here. He is the savior of the world. He's your own personal savior. He's the light in the darkness. And he's here not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. Father God, today I, uh, we celebrate the fact that your son came to save the world. And I believe there are many that are listening today who maybe, maybe don't have, it's been a long time since they've prayed to you. There's been a long time since they've maybe opened their Bibles because there's condemnation that kind of uh, hovers above. They, they believe that, that you are angry with them or you are um, displeased with them to the extent that it's hard to, it's hard to converse with you or hard to, to read your word because they feel like they're being judged and condemned, but that was never, ever the goal. 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to this earth, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus. And so I pray today that as we, um, as, as we kind of step into, away from this and, we, and we, we look ahead to the Christmas, Christmas day and Christmas season, God, we would see Jesus for who he really is, the long-awaited Messiah, the personal Savior that, that each of us has access to, a gift that has come not just for the religious elite or those that do everything right, but a gift that has come for everyone. 
So God, I pray that if there's there, those out there who have never accepted this gift, I pray, God, that today they would, they would spend some quiet time with you and they would accept this gift that was meant for everyone. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.